0: So river, river so valley, valley so rain. Welcome to the Axial Spondylarthritis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a longtime spondy looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life enjoy and learn what is available to make your life better. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Axial Arthritis Podcast. I hope this finds everybody having a wonderful week since we last talked. It's been interesting here. Again, as many know, I'm in Michigan about an hour north of Detroit and we had a heck of a snowstorm the other day and I never was so happy to have heated seats in my car as sitting there to try and relax the muscles in the back and everything on my drive home through that snowstorm. With that, I want to do a couple of housekeeping things today. One, make sure from the spondypodcast.com page you sign up for the newsletter. I've seen a big jump in signups from there and and get all these new folks signed up to receive notification when the new episodes come out. I also want to touch base and thank a couple of the folks. I didn't get a permission to use their name, but got a couple of nice donations from the buymeacoffee.com. Really appreciate that because all that's going into an account to upgrade for this show. So I really, really appreciate that. Also, I got a great review from a listener in Australia. I did not get permission to use her name, so I won't give it out in this, but she'll know who she is when she hears this. She gave me five stars and she wrote, Hi, Jason. I'm so appreciative of your continued efforts in producing this valuable content for us all. I learned something new every time I listen and I'm always thankful for your extensive knowledge and commitment to providing quality, up-to-date information. I continue to recommend your podcast to everyone I meet who has AS. Warm wishes from Melbourne, Australia. Thank you so much. That's so awesome to read, and it's really great that you continue to listen. You know, you and I have spoken and messages several times, and you're just such a great person, and I wish you all the best as you push forward with your AS. So on to today's show. This week's show has really nothing to do with me or, or my interactions with axial arthritis. This week's show, I wanted to touch base on an article I came across in Creaky Joints. There will be a link to it in the show notes, and this was really interesting. It was published a couple months ago, and it's information that came out from the American College of Rheumatology's 2021 conference, and it's titled Nine New Things to Know About Axial spondy Arthritis. and I found some of these very interesting. Let's take a look. The article goes on to say, at the American College of Rheumatology Associations of Rheumatology Health Professionals annual meeting this year, which was ACR Convergence 2021, more than 16,500 attendees and 600 speakers from more than 100 countries gathered virtually to share the latest research and address the most pressing issues for people living with rheumatic diseases. Uh, The Creaky Joints team was there. They were listening, watching, and learning, as they say, so they could bring more better relevant content to all of us, which I really appreciate that. I would love to know how to attend that. That's going to be one of my goals is to try to figure out how to attend that to represent us, the patients. And hopefully many more of you can, especially if it's virtually, attend as well. So what are the things that they talked about and what are some of the nine things that creaky joints thought were really important for us to know about? Well, number one, undiagnosed depression is common with axial spondroarthritis. They want to say knowing that mental health conditions like depression are common in people with axial arthritis, Researchers in Ireland screened 71 axial spondroarthritis patients for depression during routine rheumatology visits. They looked at whether the results were connected to patients' reports of disease activity and the quality of life measures. They only included patients who did not have a known diagnosis of depression. They found that up to 24% of people had survey scores that were indicative of underlying depression. These patients also had worse disease activity and quality of life than those with normal scores on the depression surveys. Well, it really only goes to show that that's something that they could just ask most of us and we could tell them this is a debilitating condition. The pain at times is super severe, and that leads to depression when you want to go just live a quote-unquote normal life. You just want to go do things, and you can't. So it's neat that Ireland did a study on this, and you'll see as we go through these nine things that they are being looked at in all these different countries, which I think is really important. But some of it is kind of like, well, duh, you know, I, I know that depression is a problem. Number two. How many non-radiographic axial arthritis patients progress to ankylosing spondylitis? Well, they go on to say, we know that within the axial spondyloarthritis family of diseases, there are two main kinds, non-radiographic and radiographic, which is also known as ankylosing spondylitis. Both diseases are thought to cause similar symptoms and disease burden, the difference being that non-radiographic, there's no visible joint damage on x-rays, yet, as the article says. Of course, it's better to not progress to radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, arthritis, and experts are currently studying how to prevent this disease progression. The first step, though, was understanding how common progression in and what the timeline looks like. In the Netherlands, when Dutch researchers followed a group of 79 non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis patients over six years, they found that every two years, approximately 10% progressed from non-radiographic to AS. So what are we talking? Roughly eight people over the course of every two years converted and moved over to where they could see visible damage in an x-ray from the progression of axial arthritis. This is really important. And you'll see this discussed as we go through the list. Doctors have to become more in tune with what we as a group of patients are dealing with it's really a um, disheartening thing as you'll see when we get farther down about what doctors really don't know and how it just reinforces that we have to be our best advocates for ourselves number three there's a noticeable lack of axial spondyloarthritis arthritis awareness among primary care providers so they went on to say diagnostic delays of 10 or more years are common in axial spondyloarthritis. arthritis especially with women. A substantial factor is that people often go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed because other health professionals don't suspect that their back pain or other symptoms could be due to axial spondyloarthritis, and they don't get a referral to a rheumatologist. And that's really where the breakdown starts to happen. They'll start to come up with other things, and it gets put off and gets put off and gets put off. That's where there's such a damaging delay. So researchers from Yale University and the University of Connecticut surveyed 138 primary care providers about axial spondyloarthritis. Three quarters were doctors and one quarter were enhanced practitioners like nurse practitioners. Among the findings, 96% were at least familiar with the term inflammatory back pain, but 58% never or rarely assesses it. 83% rarely or never order a test for HLA-B27, a genetic marker associated with axial spondyloarthritis. 65% rarely or never ordered a test for C-reactive protein in young patients with chronic back pain. At least 75% never asked whether uveitis or enthesitis, which are associated with axial spondyloarthritis. And 50% never or rarely asked about family history of spondyloarthritis these numbers blew my mind can you imagine this 75 percent of the doctors said i never ask about uveitis whether you've had it or dealt with it that is why it's so important for you to bring these topics up to your primary care doctor test me for hlab 27 what's my crp you know i've had uveitis multiple times why are you not assessing me or getting me into a rheumatologist you have to push these doctors you have to be your best advocate for yourself The article goes on to say, these findings indicate that there is a lot of room for improvement in educating primary care providers about axial spondyloarthritis symptoms and ordering tests to help diagnose it. It also shows how much people with inflammatory back pain and other axial spondyloarthritis symptoms need to advocate for themselves as they navigate the journey to get diagnosed. Just what I was talking about. You've got to be your own best advocate. One way to push for better care is to ask your provider, are you sure my symptoms couldn't be due to inflammatory back pain or axial spondoarthritis? Are you sure there aren't any blood tests or imaging tests that can help figure this out? Again, did you notice they use the term axial spondyarthritis? When you're trying to get a diagnosis, you want to cast the widest net possible and then narrow down from there. If you go in saying I've got ankylosing spondylitis, the doctor comes back and says, there's no visible damage on your x-rays, you don't have ankylosing spondylitis. Again, you come to a pass where you're butting heads with the doctor because he's right. You don't have ankylosing spondylitis if you don't have visible damage. doesn't mean you don't have non-radiographic, that you haven't progressed through it or that you will progress in the future to it. So it's very, very important as you're trying to get a diagnosis. And I know there's a lot of newer folks that are newly diagnosed or trying to get diagnosed that, listen, use the term axial spondyloarthritis. It can make all the difference in the treatment that you get or getting the diagnosis that you need. Number four, many axial spondyloarthritis patients in remission may successfully taper biologics without experiencing flares. I found this little paragraph just super interesting. Of course, getting to remission when you have low disease activity according to both patient and physician assessments is the first place is not an easy feat with axial spondyloarthritis. But among those who do, can they safely stop taking biologic medications? See this question a lot in the different forums. Can I stop my biologics? Do I have to stay on them for my whole life? Well, this is something that they're really starting to study. A study from Denmark sheds some insight on this very important question. Researchers identified a group of about 100 axial spondyloarthritis patients in remission for at least a year who were taking TNF biologics and had them gradually taper their medications over the course of a year then followed the patients for two years after that. They found that about half had successfully tapered completely. Among the other half, patients were able to stay in remission on various lower doses, even though they didn't stop the medication completely. There's the important thing right there. Once it seems to get that inflammation under control, going from maybe 300 milligrams of Cosentix down to 150, or tapering off the amount of Humira, all of those are a possibility. And it's one thing that you can possibly start to consider, especially if you're feeling really well, you want to talk to your doctor about it. Number five, unemployment and challenges with working are very common in axial spondyloarthritis. People with axial spondyloarthritis may have debilitating back pain from a young age, which can affect them during their prime working years. New research at ACR explores and importantly helps quantify these issues. In a study from Ireland, researchers looked at a national registry of people with AS. Among the 876 people for whom information was available about their employment status, about 22% were unemployed, which was much higher than the national average of 6 to 13% over the same time period. Another 24% of the people said their axial spinal arthritis limited their work ability. So you're talking almost 50% of the people with AS were affected in their work. Again, all they've got to do is ask us and we can tell them that. But again, They're starting to research it and that's what's important is they're starting to put it down and and put the whole picture together, paint the picture as I say. What's more, the use of advanced therapies was high among people who were unemployed. 75% reported taking biologics. Researchers called attention to one particular predictor of unemployment, reduced spinal mobility, noting that identifying this early and getting occupational or physical therapy supports might help to keep patients working longer. In a separate research from an online survey, more than 1,800 axial spondyloarthritis patients spanning 13 different European countries, about three-quarters said that they had difficulty or thought they would have difficulty finding a job because of their axial spondyloarthritis. Though many different factors played a role, they say, some worth paying attention to included challenges taking public transportation, needing customized shoes, not having university education, or having had to previously change jobs because of axial arthritis related barriers. It goes on to say, if you're struggling to work because of AS, research like this is important to be aware of. If you're trying to get workplace accommodations, it quantifies and validates the very real challenges this disease presents. Number six, artificial intelligence is coming to axial spondyloarthritis, and it may help to standardize and speed up diagnosis. This was a very interesting topic. Diagnosing axial spondyloarthritis can be tricky for many reasons, not least of which is that interpreting x-rays of the sacroiliac joints, the joints that connect the spine and the pelvis, where damage and inflammation in axial spondyloarthritis frequently starts, can vary widely depending on who is looking at the films and how much experience they have identifying SI joint damage. One study done in Germany that got a lot of attention at ACR this year found that using what researchers called an artificial neural network a form of machine learning to read the x-rays of people with suspected axial spondyloarthritis could accurately diagnose the condition with good sensitivity, which is about 79%, and very good specificity at about 94%, compared to consensus judgment from a rheumatologist and radiologist reading the same x-rays. High specificity means that artificial intelligence was particularly good at ruling out false positives or diagnosing people with something when they didn't actually have it. That's huge. In the future, doctors may be able to rely on this technology to streamline the process of diagnosing axial arthritis with x-rays, which is less expensive than using MRIs. And that's the thing is from the previous topic that we looked at where it talked about the large number of people on biologics, which are an expensive medication being unemployed, which meant that they were being covered by the governments of whatever country they were in versus private health insurance. These costs, lower cost x-rays versus MRIs, all of it. I hate to break our disease and our condition down to dollars and cents. but that's really why these governments do these studies is how can we save money? You know it, it's also to help people obviously, but by helping they save money and that's really a key. but if if that's ultimately what we have to do as a group of people dealing with this, is to help the countries learn how to save money by diagnosing us faster and getting better treatments, I'm all for it. Number seven, evaluating Crohn's disease patients for inflammatory back pain can identify axial spondyloarthritis earlier. Axial spondyloarthritis and inflammatory bowel disease such as Crohn's disease often strike together. So it makes sense to keep an eye out for the other when you're diagnosed with one. In a study done at the University of Chicago, researchers wanted to see if they could identify signs of inflammatory changes associated with IAS. Patients were getting imaging of the small intestine. Of 48 patients studied, 25% had abnormal of the 48 patients studied, 25% had abnormal sacroiliac joint inflammation detected on imaging. Most of these people were female, had intestinal damage from Crohn's disease and did not report symptoms of back pain. The researchers suggest that MRE scans should be routinely evaluated for muscular skeletal abnormalities, which may be a unique way to identify asymptomatic or early-stage axial spinal arthritis of people with Crohn's. So think about that. If they weren't looking, and it also says that most of these people were female, you end up with a situation where, again, it just delays that diagnosis, and you become part of that statistical analysis average 10-year term till you get a diagnosis that's not what you want so all these different ways are just to me amazing number eight a high proportion of ankylosing spondylitis and psoriatic arthritis patients use opioids as part of the treatment It goes on to say well opioids may have a place in pain management for certain rheumatic patients and certain circumstances they don't address the underlying cause of pain the way other treatments do. In conditions like axial spinal arthritis and psoriatic arthritis, for example, NSAIDs can address inflammation and biologics may help to prevent pro- disease progression. So researchers led by Alexis Agday of the, the University of Pennsylvania looked at a patient database to better understand the prevalence of opioid use and connection to disease burden. They found that about 21% of psoriatic arthritis patients out of 828 total, and about 27% of AS patients, out of about 334 total, received opioids. Patients were also using other treatments, such as NSAIDs, DMARDs, and biologics, so the opioids were likely in addition to and not instead of. Increased opioid use was associated with higher disability and disease activity scores, which makes sense. People who are feeling worse and have more pain would be more in need of pain relief options. The study reveals that many patients still experience chronic pain despite getting treatment for inflammation, which highlights the need for better pain management in these conditions. And that kind of ties into an article that I read uh, just last week or the week before that mentioned that they were going to loosen some of the restrictions on opioid prescription use for, now this is in America, for people with chronic pain conditions, that they realized that maybe they had gone too far to one side in making it too restrictive. And we're gonna reel that back a little bit and make it a little bit easier for people with chronic pain to maybe get opioids. So check with your doctor, see how they feel. A lot of doctors are still very gun-shy about prescribing opioids, so you have to do what's best for you. Number nine, having more comorbidities with AS may affect disease burden as well as staying on treatment. So chronic diseases like axial spinal arthritis don't exist in a vacuum, and we all are well aware of that, having various comorbidities from high blood pressure to your high weight to just there's a number of things that can affect you many people have additional medical conditions known as comorbidities that can affect their ability to manage the rheumatic condition for a variety of reasons research that was done in Spain shed more light on this issue by analyzing data on a group of 749 people with AS and following them over two years they found that people with more comorbidities had worse scores on self-assessments of pain and disease activity what's more People with more comorbidities had a higher likelihood of stopping treatment, in parentheses TNF biologics, for AS than those with fewer comorbidities. The study didn't get into the details about why comorbidities might be more associated with treatment discontinuation or worse outcomes. However, research like this highlights the fact that it's necessary to consider the whole patient when treating a chronic condition like AS. And the more rheumatologists and patients know about how and which comorbidities can affect care and outcomes, the more effectively they can manage someone's AS. So with that, I know this is a little bit of a longer episode. I appreciate you all staying with me through this. It was just such an important conference and the topics were so important to all of us with this disease. And what I really found interesting is that every one of these little nine things was pretty much done in a different country. So it again shows that we all share the same underlying condition and that's why it's so great to see downloads for this show come in from 119 different countries. We really are all in this together. I thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week. And please don't hesitate to go out and leave the show review. Send me a message if you have questions. I really appreciate all of you listening. And I do this for you. Thank you and have a wonderful week.